You're listening to Trek FM. Hi, and welcome to Women at Warp. Join us as our crew of four women Star Trek fans boldly go on our bi-weekly mission to explore our favorite franchise. My name is Andy, and thanks for tuning in. Today we have Grace. Hey, everybody. Sue. Hey there. And Jera. You never give up hoping, do you? Oh, gosh. That was dark. <laughs> dark way to start the podcast. <laughs> Okay, so if you hadn't guessed by my horrible quote reference there, um, today we are reviewing the TOS episode, Amok Time. But before we do that, um, and Andy takes over again, I'm going to just give our <laughs> quick reminder about our Patreon, uh, which is at patreon.com slash women at work. Um, if you make even a small donation there, you get access to some cool exclusive content, and it helps us support our uh, work and promoting the podcast and attending conventions and things like that. So And fixing mics. Yes, exactly. Just saying. It is very important. So um, hop on over to patreon.com slash women at warp if you'd like to support us there. Back to Andy. Yay. Um, so yes, today we're talking about Amok Time, which I'm pretty sure is one of those episodes that everyone remembers. It's one of the kind of episodes that's a fa fan favorite and a critical favorite. But in case you do not, this is the one where Spock experiences Pon Far and they go back to Vulcan and then there's a fight to the death. Between Spock because and Kirk. Spock is horny. Basically, that's the gist of the episode. Spock gets horny and Kirk almost dies. That's pretty because rough. Because Spock is horny. Because Spock is horny, yes. Also, this is the episode that has been spoofed many, many times, including in The Simpsons, The Cable Guy, uh, Warehouse 13, Futurama, and uh, an Eddie Murphy sketch. In delirious so it's like it's definitely one of the most famous episodes it's one of the easily the most spoofable also and it's also the first time spock uses the vulcan hand salute so there's your fun facts yeah yeah i think there's a reason this episode is famous and it's because it's good uh, it's a fun episode it's a fun episode it's good it's got some really memorable moments um and we'll go through them um, but one of the reasons we wanted to talk to about it is because we actually have three women in this episode doing things, like actually talking and participating in the plot. They they make soup. And plans. Yes. Soup and plans. That is the title of this episode. <laughs> soup and plans. <laughs> yeah, so there's, there's a fair amount of women in here, so we're going to kind of go through the episode and then we'll talk about some of the female characters and some of the themes that we see here. Also written by a woman. Well, it's written by Theodore Sturgeon, and then, like, the final copy was done by D.C. Fontana, because she was their best script doctor. Yeah, and she she was responsible for a lot of the sort of Vulcan culture stuff that ended up in the final cut. We can always count on D.C. Fontana to Vulcan things up, and I, I for one, appreciate her for that. Get Vulcan with it. Na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na
and going, hey, have you noticed anything's wrong with Spock? And it turns out that Spock's been kind of grumpy, just a wee bit grumpy. And um, McCoy is trying to convince Kirk that this is actually a problem. And Kirk's like, eh, he's probably fine. And then we have Nurse Chapel <laughs> making the soup, bringing Spock soup. And then Spock has a hilarious tantrum, which is one of my favorite par- parts of the episode. He's like, get the soup out of here. And he, like, hurls it into the hallway, clatters with, like, very, very nice noise. So It's incredibly dramatic. It is. It is very dramatic. And it's exactly what two-year-olds do when they don't want to eat their peas. Honestly, I might even go as far as saying it's the best soup-related scene in Star Trek. Wow. I don't know. I just watched some Enterprise episodes that talk a lot about soup. (laughs) So there are a couple (laughs) contenders. (laughs) And I don't think it would even make the list if we broadened it to food-related scenes, because I think that's definitely the Alfarian hair pasta food fight between Paris and Neelix. But that we digress. (laughs) (laughs) Ten chocolate sundaes. I yes. was going to throw chicken sandwich out there, a triple in his chicken sandwich, but. <laughs> now it's a triple sandwich. Deal with it. Anyway. But it is a good way to, to show right off the bat that something's wrong with Spock. Um, we don't generally see Spock having two-year-old tantrums. And poor Nurse Chapel runs out of there like she's on fire. So it's it does what it's supposed to do, which is set up that something's wrong with Spock. I'm sorry. The first thing I thought was just something's up with Spock. Something's up with Spock. There's a lot of singing this morning. <laughs> I was just saying that the music was great in the episode when we were talking before the show. And now I'm like, the music is also great in this episode of our podcast. Meta. Um, yeah. So something's definitely wrong with Spock. And he's all like, I can't talk about it because no Vulcan could ever talk about this. You wouldn't get it, Kirk. But Kirk keeps pushing, right? And this is, like, what really gets on my nerves. He's like, I don't want to talk about it. And Kirk does not let it go. And even when when Kirk thinks it's a medical thing, he keeps pushing and he wants to know what's going on. He's super nosy in this episode. <laughs> to be yeah, fair. I, you know, Spock, by the time that Kirk really pushes it, McCoy has basically told him Spock's going to die if you don't get him back to Vulcan. And he's the only one who knows why. It's going to require you disobeying a direct order from Starfleet to get there. And also Spock has disobeyed Kirk's orders and like turned the ship around and is like, yeah, that's maybe possible. I might have done that. I don't really remember. So I feel like for the sake of running the ship and Spock's life, it's fair that Kirk is nosy. Like maybe not so much so quickly, but he clearly needs to know what's going on. Otherwise, they're going to lock Spock in a cell and he's going to die. Yeah, I just feel like if he doesn't go back to Vulcan, he's going to die should be enough. Mm-hmm. Mm. You'd think so. I I also don't really understand why he's going to die. Is that ever adequately explained? Something about the buildup of something in his blood is going to do something that makes his organs not work anymore. Horniness. It's horniness. I get that much. I get like that he's going through like these these physical changes and stuff. But what I don't understand is what prompts it and what stops it. Do you know what I mean? So like they they talk about the timing of it. Like um, it's because he's supposed to go back and claim his lady. But like a salmon, but also a Vulcan. (laughs) Yes, exactly. But I don't understand like what it is about either the fight or the ritual or whatever that actually stops his ponfar. Does that make sense? So I'm confused. I'm confused by the 
kind of mystical science we've got going on here. I think what actually cures it, which they can't say on TV in the 1960s, is the consummation. Maybe. Yeah. You know, there is an interesting connection with the this idea that, like, sex and violence are two sides of the same coin. And for men, it's like you must have one or the other. Um, and it's it's actually like kind of a bit of a, a gross message if you think about it, but um, there there are issues. Well, here's the thing I don't get, right? This episode sort of puts it forth because Spock was betrothed or whatever as a child. The implication is that this is the first time he's dealing with this because he and T'Pring haven't been mm. wed yet. But then in what search for Spock when he turned seven... Oh, yeah, good point. He's experiencing the Ponfar. So which is it? Is it, you know, for the first time when you get to a certain age? Or does it actually happen when a Vulcan turns seven? Because it doesn't make any sense and too gross. Well, I definitely recall an episode, I don't remember which one it was, where Grace and I talked about how Star Trek really avoids talking about the obvious solution of masturbation in these cases. Um, But, yeah. (laughs) Because with Star Trek, we can talk about all of these different cultural mores. We can talk about genocide and all kinds of shenanigans. But the second you get to jerking it off, that's when you've crossed a line. They, they <laughs> kind of address it with Tuvok and the holodeck. Oh, kind right. of, or, but not really. Um, not it's not really. Tuvok, it's Vorik in the holodeck. And Tuvok. Oh, do they yeah, do the holodeck with they Tuvok They do it with well? Tuvok, okay. too. Right. Tom, Tom sets it up for him. If I remember correctly. Tom Paris is your holographic wingman, y'all. Um, I just wanted to say that because uh, we're talking about this, when I was reading These Are the Voyages, I actually spit out my lemonade because I was reading a memo that Gene Kuhn wrote where he was also expressing, like, what's going on here? Why is he going to die? And he goes, we have to learn why Spock will die if he doesn't get to Vulcan in eight days. What kills him? Swollen gonads? Question mark. <laughs> Okay, that makes me feel better about the joke I was going to make was blue ears. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so like this is obviously like something that they were thinking about, but I don't know that they adequately expressed it. I feel like they kind of glossed over it. And then, you know, at the time, nobody knew that 50 years later we'd be examining it in such depth. So I don't think that it's ever been. I think they knew somehow. Somehow. They knew in their heart They were like, this Ponfar thing is going to really become important. (laughs) (laughs) They're going to analyze the hell out of this. You know it. Right. So Spock's going to die is the upshot. And Kirk gets direct orders to not take him to Vulcan. He has got some diplomatic emergency, which is probably not really an emergency, that they're like, nope, you gotta you gotta go there, you can't go to Vulcan. So he's like, you know, doing the thing that Kirk does, which is he's like, I'm, I'm a good little soldier until you tell me not to save Spock. And he chucks everything and runs off to Vulcan. To hell with your orders. My friend needs to get laid! <laughs> Although I don't know that he really understands what's going on. I think he I think he's like us in that he's like he's accepted the fact that Spock will die if this does not happen, so therefore. No, but by that point he knows cuz he's told Spock, you know, I'll keep it this anonymous cuz he's made Spock tell him what the Ponfar is and Spock gives the whole talk about like be- birds and the bees are not Vulcans and I'm like a fish but not and I'm I'm a Vulcan not a man and there's a, like it's actually a really 
I really like that scene and I like how Kirk is like, why are we embarrassed talking about sex? It's just something that happens. Um, but, uh, so he's t- promised Spock will keep it confidential. So he can't tell Starfleet why he needs to go to Vulcan. And they're like, sorry, if you can't tell me, then that's not a good enough reason. So he does know by that point. I know he knows, but I don't know that he understands. You know what I mean? He's like, okay, let's go, Salmon. Let's get you to Vulcan. Yeah. Let's get your ass upstream. <laughs> Basically. Um, and this is the first time we see Vulcan. So we finally, we get to Vulcan and we see Vulcan for the first time. And it's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. When I was first watching this episode, I was paintings. like, it's the best. It was though, because I was just like, everything is so bright and like the color palette is so, it does look alien. And I just love the desert and the really dramatic rocks. I've always really liked Vulcan just in general, but this is the first time that I got to see it. And, uh, I just, I do think that it delivers even when I watched it, you know, decades later that I was just kind of like, ooh, and appropriately awed by the, you know, the cool Vulcan desert scape. It is freaking neat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think at this point, people are just excited to get more background on Vulcan and on Spock in particular because he had become such an important and favorite character. I was actually surprised in seeing Vulcan that, I mean, I know we're only seeing one small part of it, but you don't even see a city in the distance. You just get a desert planet. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. They're too good for cities. Well, they did a lot of their lighting by just like light painting on blank walls and putting sets in front of them, so it could have just been a money issue. Yeah, no, that's definitely true. But, I mean, we're going to Vulcan and we're only seeing a desert, and we're going there for an ancient ritual. And it just, to me, makes Vulcan feel undeveloped, I guess? Like, they're supposed to be so far ahead of humans and, and so big into the sciences, and, like, what we're shown is almost primitive, even though I really hate that word. Yeah, well, I mean, I think to some extent it it goes to the point that, like, the Vulcans don't like to talk about this. This isn't part of their culture they're particularly proud of, and they've made this whole ritual to kind of obscure the illogic of it. So maybe it's purposefully set apart from the places where they do science. I've also always really enjoyed kind of the, you know, you have the, the super logical side of Vulcan culture, and then you have this really strong mysticism side of it. And I've always kind of liked the contrast of that. Like, the idea that they're, yes, they're very advanced, they're very smart, they're very logical, they've got all this math and science, but they still have, like, these these rituals and these kind of, like, mysterious ways about them. Um, I've, already, I've, I've always really dug it. So we land on Vulcan, and it's exciting, and everyone's like, ooh, at the paintings, and then we get to- s- They get to cross a giant bridge and everything. I know, it's very dramatic. No touchdown is complete without a giant bridge. It's important because he brings Kirk and McCoy with him because they're his closest friends. And it's like, oh, seriously, though, that is an awe moment. I was like, Spock. Yeah, I I think Kirk at this point, I think we expect him to bring Kirk. But when he turns to McC- he says is like, I'm allowed to have my closest friends. And he was like, I would also like McCoy there. This is the closest <laughs> yeah. Spock has ever gotten to being like, I love you, McCoy. <laughs> bruh, you're my bruh, bruh. <laughs> so I do think that that's cool that, um, you know, he, he brings them and very specifically states that it's because they're his friends because he doesn't usually. 
Mm-hmm. Like all of all of the love between them is usually shown through actions, not words, which is something that I enjoy most of the time. But then it just does mean that when we do get to see this overt friendship, that it it hits you on the feels. Ain't no feels like friendship feels. True story. Spock. <laughs> So they cross the bridge and they get to this arena type area. Uh, and, you know, we start to see the Vulcans. If you're a Rick and Morty fan, it kind of looks like they've got a small army of bird persons. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that they bring T'Pau out on like this litter with all of these like dudes in weird armor uh, with the bells. <laughs> yes. Aggressively ringing their bells. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. Yeah. I just, I love it. Like, they're wearing this, and they have, they look so serious, but they are literally shaking giant, like, thing of tiny bells. Yes, and look like they're kind of dressed in tinfoil. Yes. They were on their way to a baked potato party. Those are some pretty illogical outfits. <laughs> yes. But I love that the introduction we get to T'Pau is that she's the only person who's ever turned down a seat on the Federation Council, isn't it? Mm-hmm. She's like legendary, and Kirk. So we, you know who that is. Yeah, that's really cool. I do like Kirk's hero worship of her. He's like his eyes right. are so big. He's like, oh my gosh, and that's pretty cool. Holy crap! It's a good way to set up that this is an important person, even outside of Vulcan, right away. Sadly, though, she does not have good grammar. <laughs> she doesn't. No. No. This was driving me up the wall. She was using like the the middle english second person pronoun so the all the time but that's the indirect object pronoun or the object pronoun rather and she never used the subject pronoun thou so it's always the will do this and like it just sits yeah. in my brain wrong it's, it's thou <laughs> and then the and then thy <laughs> she never says thou in the entire episode this is the equivalent of Sue getting angry about math. Now we have Sue getting angry about middle <laughs> medieval grammar. I like um, it. Excellent. Math and grammar. Yeah. It like it reminded me of Miss Piggy and moi. <laughs> but she looks badass doing it, Sue. Kind of like yeah. Miss Piggy though. <laughs> I could see it. The Miss Piggy oh, wow. of Star Trek. Yes. Me. Moi. She is very yep. regal. Um, Celia Lovsky, the actress who played T'Pau, was um, one of only 11 credited Trek guest stars born in the 19th century. She was born in 1897. And she was also um, was married to the actor Peter Lorre. And no way. When, yeah. And when he was forced to flee Berlin in 1933, she went with him. Um, and finally, they ended up in America. And uh, he refused to let her work. After they were married, believing that in a marriage, quote, the man must do all the work. But after uh, she divorced, she uh, became his publicist, manager, secretary, financial planner, and friend. But she found Good it difficult her. to get acting work because of her Austro-Hungarian accent. And so she ended up in a lot of, like, exotic, quote-unquote, roles. Tapau is also proof that so many Vulcans have names that sound like sound effects. Tapau, <laughs> Tapring. <laughs> Spa. Sorry, I heard yeah. that as she. We actually wow. see 
to Pring before this, um, who's Spock's fiance, because she comes on the view screen and they have this whole like, to Pring, my love parted for me and never parted, never and always touching and touch, always looking and never seeing and always Spock feeling. Spock straight up creeping. Never logicking. And <laughs> you are always mine. And then she's like, all of this stuff too. I want, oh, I await you. Her response is pretty much, yeah, sure, why not? Yeah. And then they're like, who is she? And he's like, she's my wife. And Nurse Chapel's like, wah, wah. <laughs> to be fair, Accurate whenever it comes to Nurse Chapel and Spock, Nurse Chapel is going, wah, wah. Like, that's like the metaphor pretty for their relationship. actually Nurse Chapel and the entire show. That's pretty much her musical theme of the show, though, isn't it? Why is she so she's into him? Brian of TOS. Who isn't into Spock, dude? Well, Uhura definitely that's- is into Spock, but I don't. I get why she's into Spock. I don't get why she moves on. Why she doesn't move on? Yeah. She took a an HR seminar on sexual harassment. But, like, we don't even see them interact that much. You know? I This, like, I love this episode, but the scenes with Nurse Chapel really get to me. That she's, like, crying and that he is, like, it is undignified for a woman to serve a man who is not hers or something. Or a man, uh when she is not his or like basically something that's like unless we're married and she's my property she can't serve me and then she's still like instead of being like wow that's super gross i am a qualified competent professional she's just like you want me to make you soup i would love to make you soup Sweet Jesus soup (laughs) but she she gets so excited when he's like you can make me soup if you want (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Didn't Mage Albarrett, like, like, say some... (laughs) Yeah, she said she wasn't really in love with Chapel as a character, and she felt she was kind of pathetic. (laughs) Poor Chapel. Not even the person playing her thought she... Oh, gosh, that's so sad. She could have been way awesomer than she was. Of course. Oh, and the part, like, where McCoy is, like... You made him soup, you never quit, do you? Or whatever he says. It's like, basically like, aw, look at the little girl who's in love with the Vulcan who doesn't love her back. Yeah, it's, I I feel bad Ugh. for her. Oh, me too. We've all been there, Christine. We've all been there. At one point, she does get to teach Uhura how to read. A different episode, I'm just saying, in the course of her thing. <laughs> this right. is the, Wait, what? This, this is the high point for Chapel. Most, <laughs> It's just so much yes. of her motivation is like seeking after a guy. She, you know, she stopped medical school to go after her fiance. And now yeah. she is pining over Spock and spending all her time making soup, apparently. It just, no. God, can you imagine what her live journal must have looked like? <laughs> <laughs> well, Good I Lord. mean, she's not the only one. There's this part where Spock is like, I'm sad. And he sits in the corner and plays his little, like, I don't know what that is, like a ukulele lute thing by himself <laughs> in the corner. It's, just like, plink a plink. It has an actual name, um, but it uh, it's there is a Vulcan harp app. Yeah, but I did notice that that he does sit in his room and the and it's all dimmed and he just sits in the corner. <laughs> so that's pretty emo too, to be fair. 
Nurse Chapel is not the only yeah. emo in this episode. She's just on Live Journal. He's on SoundCloud. It's just called the Vulcan Loot. Yeah. It's the um the the giant stick things that they fight each other with that I think are called the Lerpa. Lerpa. Yeah. Straight out of Futurama. Oh or yeah. Or rather, <laughs> they're they're like the way more badass versions of the Anbo Jitsu weapons in the Icarus Factor. I love that though because oh they're like. They fight and then they yell like hurt feelings at each other and then they fight some more. That's the best scene. <laughs> They're like, you were never there for me as a child. And then he hits him in the face with a stick. <laughs> it's pretty great. <laughs> wonder what Freud would say about that. <laughs> well, I, this fight scene, I think, is significantly better. Um, the music is iconic in Trek, and uh, it's like, oh, right. So we I don't think we explained how this happens. Exactly. This is, again, a very musical episode. Uh, so to pring Spock's fiancé-wife situation, um, <laughs> basically wants to marry this other dude with a very tiny forehead called Ston. And she's like, all right, I don't want to marry Spock, so I am calling this right where I can have a challenger challenge Spock in a fight to the death. But it can be anyone for some reason. It doesn't have to be the guy that I want to marry. And he's like, what? I would totally win. I totally want to fight Spock. And she's like, nope, Kirk. Kirk should fight Spock. And so that's how that, that arises. My favorite moment for her is when Spock goes to ring the gong or whatever, and she just puts her hand out and is like, no. Mm -hmm. It's so cool looking. Um, fun fact about Stan, also from These Are the Voyages and also inappropriate background notes, is that apparently <laughs> his original name was Spore. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. And they actually had like this, like these memos back and forth, like, we can't have his name be Spore. <laughs> <laughs> and nobody knew how to t tell Theodore Sturgeon that they needed to change the name from Spore because it was too, you know, close to other names. On the nose. Yes. And so they basically <laughs> wrote him a letter that was like, we like this draft, but can we think we need to change the name of Spore to something less suggestive. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that. Uh, oh, I man. love these memos because it just goes to show that the uh, background notes on Star Trek is... <laughs> They were just like us, guys. <laughs> Laughing at the name Spore. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I love that T'Pring can make this challenge and, like, choose a champion that she prefers. But what I really hated is that T'Pau right there is like, well, you understand that whoever wins, you're going to become the property of the yeah. victor. Yeah. Ugh. Vulcan has not moved up on its... Uh phrasing and language scale, I guess. They're evolved in every other capacity. Not so much in the delicately wording one. See, this is such a weird thing to me because on the one hand, you have two really strong-willed women here that are both apparently okay with this ritual that is really heavily weighted towards the man. And actually, that's kind of the point of what Tapring is doing is she's trying to manipulate this system that really doesn't work well for her in a way that she can get what she wants. Absolutely. Yeah, she's doing the best she can with the, the system that's in place, but it's just a pretty terrible system. And I mean, we've talked before about how 
you know, people accuse Kirk of being the womanizer, but it's really Spock who says all the misogynistic things. Maybe this on is the show. why. <laughs> because of Vulcan. <sighs> right? Yeah. Frickin we Vulcans, had a, uh, man. a listener comment on Facebook from Kathy who said there is a discussion in a fanzine back in the 70s of the greatest Trek villain of all time, and T'Pring was at the top of the list. The editor finally stepped in and stated T'Pring was not a villain. I've always gotten the impression T'Pring wanted somebody who was not away in Starfleet. Viewers forget Spock was away in Starfleet. He was not home on Vulcan. That does not make T'Pring a B-word. I mean, I think that's part of it. It's not just that, like, Spock was away, but, like, she didn't have feelings for him, and he didn't even have feelings for her, but she did have feelings for Stan. And at the end, like, she tells, she explains to Spock, basically, like, I did the only thing I could do in this situation to be with Stan and to be free and and he's basically like you're totally logical it's not i love how spock's not even angry it's just like oh well played no yeah place. and she thanks him she's like thanks for the compliment i mean obviously it's not cool that she put people's life in danger but she didn't really have another option other than be miserable for the rest of her life because of this weird awful position she was put in by her society yeah, I was surprised when I realized there was a fan, a negative fan reaction to her, seemingly just for not wanting Spock, which is silly. And the reasons she gives are totally legitimate. Like, you're, I, I'm not sure if she mentions that, that he's away all the time, but she does mention that, like, she doesn't want to be in the public eye like she would be if, if they were a couple or married or whatever. And that, you know, she has someone there who she actually does want to be with, and he wants to be with her. And they don't even really know each other that well. I mean, all of these things are legitimate. Yeah, apparently in one of the novels, um, obviously it's non-canon, but she, uh, like, comes back and tries to get revenge on Kirk and Spock it's because Stan died. It's Spock's world. Is that in Spock's? Yeah, it's Diane Dwayne. It's so good. Okay. If you guys have not read Spock's World, (laughs) just our listeners, if you haven't read it, read it. It is so good. Um, especially like later on. First of all, T'Pring does come back and she's more villainous in that version, but it's kind of like her life has not gone the way she wants. And so she's kind of bitter. Um, but the, the whole book is just really, really interesting. It goes into the history of Vulcan and, um, especially, um, Sarek and his philosophy and how it shaped Vulcan, and it is top-notch book. Definitely read it. But from the title, I can only imagine it's like Wayne's World, but with Vulcans. It's exactly right. <laughs> exactly right. And then, um, you know... It's- Logic time. Most excellent. <laughs> Party on, Spock. Party on, Stan. logic time. Fascinating. <laughs> yes. uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a great book, so people should check that out for sure. Cool. But yeah, Arlene Martell has a quote. Uh, she's the actress who played T'Pring in These Are the Voyages saying, I was just caught up in the fervor of it, what it was about, being true to your nature, being true to your impulses. And I was very in tune with that concept. I mean, it was the 60s and there was all this freedom suddenly happening, sexual freedom. And the script was kind of honoring T'Pring as a woman, I think. She wasn't taught our cultural thing of, you know, you do as you're told. She was very respectful of who she was. I thought she was very logical and intellectually centered rather than emotionally controlled. It is pretty cool to see someone just being like, yeah, I I beat the system. That's how I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I have a feeling that a lot of uh, reaction to her is probably because of the lack of emotion of the Vulcan women. Mm-hmm. 
because yeah. that's something that I think people can accept in men more than they can for women. And DC Fontana actually, um, also in These Are the Voyages, another book you guys should be reading, uh, is that she, she talked a little bit about, you know, we talked about how she was sad that she couldn't keep in Friday's Child, keeping Julie Newmar's character kind of manipulative and not so maternal. Um, so she actually added a lot of that to Tapring where she was like, um, here's the quote for, uh, from DC Fantana. Nice. I put in the fact that she was very calculating, uh, saying you'll be gone. I'll still be here and Stan will be here. Like the Julie Newmar character in Friday's Child, but Jean didn't allow it there. So I brought some of that into this one. But yeah, so she, she actually wanted her to be more calculating because she wanted to show a different side of femininity. And I think that's cool, but I also think that's why Tapring got the reaction she did, or at least one of the reasons. Mm-hmm. And I, I see her as an antagonist, but not a villain. She's just an INTJ. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> She's got her reasons. But I do not understand why anyone would want Stan over Spock. He's weird. And yes. I, I don't like his face. I- she really digs tiny foreheads. I guess. Likes them small. <laughs> Another non- non-canon thing from post this episode um which i recommend is um there's a series of the dc star trek novels called rivals which is volume two issues 66 to 68 if anyone's interested which is um to pring has basically like had a child with ston but then she sort of feels a calling to go live as a priestess and she leaves ston and the baby and then ston and is like dying and him and Spock have this kind of reckoning about how the whole situation was tied up in basically toxic masculinity, which is kind of like, it's kind of a theme of this episode because you have like Spock is like throwing soup at a woman who's trying to be nice because he can't handle expressing his feelings. And um, like, it it does kind of show that, um, you know, the danger of these, masculine tropes and gender roles so Stan in this comic series is um basically is like i i always felt kind of emasculated he doesn't use that word but that's basically what he's saying because to pring assumed i couldn't win that fight and so he chose she chose kirk and like it always made me feel that i wasn't as good as you because she thought i couldn't win a fight against you and uh they're basically like okay, that's, that's pretty ridiculous, right? And he's like, yeah, I'm totally dying, though. And also their daughter is like a cool computer hacker. So Neat. anyway, I recommend that comic book series. It introduces uh, Stan's second wife as well, who's a pretty cool lady. And uh, like a lot of really complex characters for like a three-book arc. Nice. That sounds awesome, but I'm sorry, Stan. You couldn't have won against Spock, so sorry. No, probably not. For one thing, he's got the power of main primary character on his side. <laughs> so yeah. the odds are just kind of set against him already. Plus, we did just see him smash that, you know, cardboard prop. I love that. <laughs> I love that scene. <laughs> I love it. I love his little tantrums. I, I think they're so funny. He's just like, and he just hits it for no reason. Uhura is not saying anything that would make him angry. He's just like, stop talking to me and destroying things. Maybe Kylo Ren was experiencing Ponfar. <laughs> oh, yikes. <laughs> if you're Semitic looking and in space and single, you know it's coming. And throwing, throwing tantrums. Yeah. Anyway. 
So we talked a little bit about T'Pring manipulating the situation, and the situation ends up being Kirk versus Spock. Dun dun dun. <laughs> I had to keep it going. Yeah, every time we talk about Kirk fighting, that's the theme. Um, so this was one of the big draws of the episode, actually, is people were really interested to see who would win in a fight, Kirk v. Spock. Personally, I'd always put my money on Spock, but that's just me. Well, I mean, he destroyed that supposedly metal thing with his bare hand. <laughs> uh, plus, I just feel like logically, though. Spock would be like, okay, Kirk, fight me, and then Kirk would fight him, and then Kirk would do a barrel roll, and Spock would nerve pinch him, and it'd all be over. Yeah. He'd be like, I logicked that. Logic the shit out of that. As long as, you know, Kirk's shirt gets ripped sometime in the process, he's probably fine with it. Again, another spit-take moment is when they manage to cut Kirk's open right at his nipples. The boobs hop. Suddenly he has a boob window. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's good to know that the boob windows are only for women on Star Trek. No, this yeah. episode has a lot of dude boob. <laughs> look, I mean, look at... Uh, to Pow's guards and tell me, oh my god, that is not some serious nipplage. <laughs> this is a nipple heavy episode. <laughs> I just, I just think that's so funny. It's so blatant. <laughs> yeah, it really is. But I do like their fight. Do you think Shatner like put out a memo or something like, hey, my pecs look great this week? Well, it was just the beginning of the season. Like they usually <laughs> found that. Um, that he would lose a bit of his muscle and gain a yeah. bit of weight as the season went on. And it's kind of, like, gross to read about the memos they were sending about Kirk's weight and, like, Shatner had to crash diet and stuff. But uh. um, this was the, the first episode in season two. I don't know if it was filmed first, but um, I don't think it was. But it was very early on, so he had been getting ready. That makes me sad. That's not pressure that anybody wants to be under. Yeah, that's super gross. And Chubby Kirk is cute. Anyways. Okay. It's true, yeah. Uh, the fight is good, though. Rawr, rawr, rawr. They have the, the big sticks with the, like, ginkgo leaf knives on the end. They hit each other with it. It's pretty great. And then there's, like, a... Where does the belt kind of situation, massive rope, come from? I don't from? know, but I like it. Oh, my gosh. Like, the whippy rope thing? It looks what like is that hose. even? <laughs> Like it's it's long and flat, like a it looks like some kind of mechanical belt or hose. One of my favorite parts is when Kirk picks it up it and he looks at it. He's like, "Huh? <laughs> what the hell is this?" Ox's like, you know, getting ready to fight with it, and he clearly is uh, he knows what it is and stuff. But Kirk's like, "What am I supposed to do with this?" <laughs> so when do you think that McCoy gets his idea? Because he wasn't expecting any of this when he came down to the planet, but he just kind of like pops up in the middle of the thing and is like, I need to inject Kirk with something because the air is too thin here. And T'Pau's basically like, nope, he's got to suck it up. And he's like, but it's not fair. And she goes, oh, okay, fine. And uh, and the thing he injects him with is the thing that eventually makes him mimics death. How like how soon did McCoy know that was going to happen? And oh, McCoy what? just always has one of those up his sleeve, just in yeah, case. Yeah, I feel like he just always has a bunch of uh, you know shots ready to go for any situation. Shot, 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 shots. But why? Why would you even bring that? <laughs> yeah, that's why do you even have that shot, man? I'm telling you, he brings it all the time. We just don't know it because he's never used it before. He always has something like to his best friend's wedding. Exactly. 
Exactly. He's actually just yeah. got a bandolier of shots and hypo sprays under his He's shirt. He's got all sorts of stuff. And, um, you know, you never know when you're going to need it. Maybe next time Kirk and Spock are inevitably in jail and need to be broken out, you know, McCoy will have the right hypo spray just on his belt. Ready to go. Maybe you'll, you'll be in the 24th century and you'll have to observe a death match between Yar and a woman on the Ligonian homeworld and you'll <laughs> need to replicate the exact same situation. I was thinking Maybe that Maybe you'll exact need to go thing. to San Francisco and regrow someone's kidney. You never know. That's true, Sue. <laughs> Your favorite part. He regrew the kidney with a pill. Ah, yes, but he still had yeah. it on his person, did he Why not? Why does he even have that pill? Yes. See? Again, it's like, well, Jim, I'd rather have it and not need it than need it and not have it. <laughs> I feel like he must have one of those yeah. Hermione bags that's like... Bigger on the inside. <laughs> and so he's got like all of his medical his supplies purse. and this tiny little pouch at his belt. Yeah, the med kit of holding. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so he does that. And then Spock strangles Kirk to fake death. And then he's not really dead. But then Spock has that awesome exchange with T'Pring where he says how logical she was. Which is really the highest compliment Spock has to give. Yeah. He's like, we're the opponent. Yeah, pretty he's much. He's not like... Exceptionally logical for a woman. <laughs> yeah, nope, none of that. No, he's nope. just straight up impressed. I think he says something like eminently logical. Yeah. It's pretty good. And, you know, at the time, he was, like, real sad because he just murdered Kirk, or he thinks mm-hmm. he did, and he's still holding it together. Yeah, the line where Tapau says, live long and prosper, Spock, and she, he's like, I shall do neither. I've killed my captain and my friend. Aww. One of the best pieces of dialogue in the series. And he delivers it so perfectly. Just... I really hope that, like, a week later, though, to bring to sense of an email, so how you holding up? He's like, oh, wasn't dead at all. What? (laughs) I want to see the IM exchange that happens after this. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, Kirk becomes rather famous after this, so I feel like both T'Pau and T'Pring are going to figure out that he is not dead. I feel like Spock is... It's probably, like, at this point, just, like, taking selfies of how happy he is and, like, how logically he's doing. And then he's, like, posting them on Facebook. Doing great without you. <laughs> Seriously, though. But can that bring us to the to that great final scene, though? Yes. Of uh, Spock discovering that Kirk is alive and getting super psyched about yeah, it. Yeah, I really... And it's the cutest damn thing. I really can't say enough about Leonard Nimoy in this, like, last five minutes because... He does this amazing stoicism, but you can just see this, like, complete heartbreak underneath it. And then to do that 180 and then the, the, you know, the famous moment when he realizes that Kirk is alive and he's just like, Jim! And it's so sweet, but not, like, it should be really cheesy. And maybe it is. I don't know. Maybe it's cheesy. But I just, every single time I'm like, ugh! I know, but it's so good. It's good, cheesy. I forgive it because it's so good. It is so good. It's m- and Chapel's like, there's still hope, <laughs> but there isn't. Did she not see the look on Spock's face? No, no, no. I feel like that no, moment no. more than anything else is what ends up in the YouTube clips when Kirk and Spock shippers are like, "See, they're in love." It's like Jim, poor Chapel. It's really, it really sweet. Is. I love that. And then also how, like, Bones gets in on kind of ribbing him. Oh, you were going to be emotional. He's just like, no. I just appreciate Kirk's skills as a captain. Come on. (laughs) I'm just glad I'm not getting court-martialed. The important thing is that no one died. So, yeah, that's the episode of Muck Time. 
And it it's let many awesome. a fangirl's imagination run amok. Actually, one of the fan letters that was included in These Are the Voyages is one from a young woman who was like, don't let that Vulcan lady stay because Spock is mine, <laughs> is basically what the gist yeah. of that letter was. And I, I get that. You want you want Spock to, to remain, you want to have hope like Christine Chapel that maybe Spock will one day realize that you and only you are his one true love. Maybe he can cross the boundaries between fiction and reality and make all of your dreams come true. If that could happen, I would freak out. If that would happen, I wouldn't be here doing a podcast, to tell you what. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to um, later at some point we're going to do an episode on Vulcan women and look at sort of the evolution over time because we get a lot more backstory and we get to see T'Pau more in Enterprise. Um, we also get to see T'Pau in Next Generation in Data's poker game, right? Am I... She's, like, clearly a legendary character whose reputation lives on for centuries, so that's pretty cool. And uh, it's interesting, yeah, to look at that whole thing about how are women treated in a supposedly logical society um, and that kind of disconnect there, um, which it, clearly in this case is, is somewhat deliberate because they're trying to show, like, this whole process is totally illogical, Um but it relies on the fact that, like, during the times that they're not in Ponfar, they're still upholding this system. So here's the thing about T'Pau, right? Because I'm a little bit confused. In this episode, we're given this backstory, I guess, of the Vulcan culture, where these children are paired up in arranged marriages from the time that they're really, really young. So it seems like what's being presented is that yeah. everyone pairs off in Vulcan society, and it's really, That's really rare illogical. for somebody to be a single adult. At and least also, Sue, remember, everybody is straight. Right, because future. everybody is straight in the future. I mean, that's obvious. But we're also in space. informed, basically by Spock, that every woman on Vulcan is subservient to her man, of course. But then we have T'Pau, who is super respected, by Kirk and the Federation and the matriarch of this family and kind of a big deal who is leading this wedding ceremony. And there's no real explanation of that. Is it that she's one of the few people on Vulcan who did remain single? Is it that she only has power now that she's maybe a widow? Or is she just so amazing that she has broken out of these trappings that the culture puts her in that doesn't let her do anything. And we're not given that information. And that's, I think, really unfortunate. But of course, you know, this Vulcan culture was not planned out like Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones. This was year two of a space western. So who knew there was going to be so much mythology built upon this? But still, what we get even within the episode, the pieces don't necessarily fit together. And that's the thing I'm a little bit disappointed with. I wish we just knew more about it. And I wish that when you put those puzzle pieces together, that the Vulcan culture made a little bit more sense. That's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, if you make it so women can only be free if their husband is dead and you have like a logical race of women, there's going to be a lot of murder. There's going to be a lot of murder. Yeah, so, like, there's the, the line that Spock has to chapel earlier is that it is undignified for a woman to play servant to a man who is not hers, which implies it's okay if they're married. 
I guess if you're playing and everything's consensual, cool, but like... I will say that although Spock's world is not canon, they do go into this whole arranged marriage thing uh, more deeply. So it, it's kind of... Because Spock's world is two, like two things. So one is Kirk and McCoy and Spock in the present, and then every alternating chapter is like the history of Vulcan. So they have uh, a lot of different viewpoint characters throughout history on Vulcan showing how these sorts of things come to be. Um, and it's super interesting. But again, it's not canon. So I don't know that we can use it as a way to bridge some of these problems. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think we get a lot more in Enterprise, but because Enterprise is a prequel, you know, if we consider just Amok Time going forward in the chronology and only consider what's given to us from canon, there just isn't a lot there. We don't even really meet a lot of other Vulcan women. We have, like, Tuvok's wife, sort of, in flashbacks. Um, am I missing someone obvious? Besides T'Pol? Yeah. So we have, like, the priestess and Savik. So, I mean, Savik indicates, like, she sort of implies that it's okay to be a single Vulcan woman serving in Starfleet. So that's kind of cool. We've also got Valeris. Oh, right. We? Yeah. So we do see some examples, but it doesn't, you know, no one really says, you know, hey, how do these things work together? Anyway, it's interesting. That'll be fun to dive into more in depth. Do we have to do our ratings for this episode? Oh, shoot. I didn't even think of that. Ooh. How are we doing ratings? We were making it phrases, right? It's set phasers to something. I set phasers to aggressively ringing bells. <laughs> I set phasers to a nice, warm, satisfying bowl of plomeek soup because it, it is comforting and gives me happy feels. Spock's world. I'm a time. Excellent. Give me a minute. I'm thinking. So set phasers to broken lerpa, <laughs> which sounds like a code phrase, doesn't it? Operation broken lerpa. I set phasers to uh, Kirk's boob window. <laughs> yeah <laughs> sorry I was thinking about doing uh, Kirk's hero worship of T'Pau but yeah no I set phasers to Kirk's opportune boob window you could also just set phasers to Jim <laughs> Jim alright anything else we want to say about Amok Time it's good it's good it's Ponfarlicious Bombarlicious. <laughs> Alrighty. It was great sharing our chat about Amok Time with you, but this is just one of the many topics being discussed on the Trek.fm network. So here's a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek.fm. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. With Kirk, Spock, McCoy, Uhura, Chekhov, Scotty, Sulu... And the Enterprise, that is your crew. That is the family of the original series. And yes, we would like to see that maintained and protected and treated with reverence. Earl Grey. This 547-meter-long, 32-deck, 502-crew member. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. To the journey! Wow. Part of me is going, wow, this is really good. Another part of me is going, really? Like, this is what you spend your time on? I kind of wish that we could use the whole time that we allot for our podcast for you to read this synopsis, because I really enjoyed story time with Tristan. <laughs> Warp 5. 
if they could have kind of told us it's more of a future for us, but we're going to build up to the Star Trek, you know, and Larry's uh, comment back was, well, that would mean that they kind of were planning it out and they knew what they were doing ahead of time. <laughs> <But sing. laughs> that sounds right. like Larry commentary Trek stars. And I can see, you know, Abrams recognizing that talent and being like, you know what? I know that you can make a good movie here. You know, I'm not convinced that I can yet, but I think that you can. And I'm going to learn from you, too, so that one day I can make a Star Wars movie. The 602 Club. How do these kids work for you, especially in this first movie? It's amazing when you look back on, on how far they've come and the chemistry that they had right off the bat, because... From the word go, when they were on the Hogwarts Express, all at the same time, that's really when it, it took off. That's really when the movie took off for me. Literary Treks. I was given a couple of mandates for uh, Beasts of Empire, one of which was, of course, jump the story ahead four years. Another was get Cisco back on a starship um, and also have Spock uh, in, in, the, in the story. Meta Treks. Yeah, so I'm not sure Kern is really the best example in that case because, you know, while he's having an, ex an existential crisis, he doesn't remember having one. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and maybe that's the real answer. Maybe to, that is uh, the real answer. L lobotomy is the, is the answer to an existential crisis. So. Melodic Treks. I personally had no problem with the way Tashi Yar died in Skin of Evil. Space is a dangerous place, and I know that we like to see our heroes give their lives in a grand and fashionable manner but sometimes they just meet an oil slick and get electrocuted by it and that's what else is happening on trek.fm we also wanted to let you know about the trek.fm patreon trek.fm is a listener supported network you can keep, help us keep the star trek discussion coming by pledging a donation at patreon.com slash trek.fm that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trek.fm Every little bit helps keep the women at Fort and the other track.fm podcasts up and running. So once you're done with the show, again, please consider hopping over to patreon.com slash track.fm. And again, if you'd like to support Women at Warp directly, you can visit our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash women at warp. So Sue, where can people find you elsewhere on the internet? Yeah, you can find me um, writing blogs and doing more podcasts over at anomalypodcast.com or on Twitter at Speltor. That's S-P-A-L-T-O-R. And Grace, how do people track you down to talk about murder? You can find me on Twitter at BoneCrusherJank, or you can read my writing on the Mythcreants blog, or listen to my other Star Trek podcasting on the archives of all things Trek. And Jarrah, how about you? You can find me on Twitter at Jarrah Penguin and on Tumblr at trekkiefeminist.tumblr.com. And um, a bunch of us are also doing blocks of episodes of the Trek FM rewatch podcast for the 50th anniversary of Star Trek called From There to Here. Basically, the network is going through and different hosts are watching blocks of episodes that we're covering two episodes a day. So throughout this year, celebrating the 50th anniversary of Star Trek, um, we're going to cover all of the 700 odd episodes of Star Trek. And uh, they're short little episodes. Um, and so my first block uh, with uh, Trek FM host Will Nguyen of Enterprise episodes is coming up starting January 22nd. And I think Sue has one really soon too, right? Yeah, I'm actually doing some episodes with Will as well. <laughs> we have two blocks of Enterprise episodes coming up. And uh, the first of which I believe starts on February 2nd. So it's going to be a lot of fun. 
and a lot of Star Trek. And I'm Andy. You can find me most easily on uh, Twitter at First Time Trek, where I'm live tuning my first time through Star Trek. And you can also take a look at my Tumblr archives at firsttimetrek.tumblr.com. Thanks so much for listening.